0: Supremacy of Christ. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him and for him. He is before all things and in him. Through his blood shed on the cross.
1: Morning, folks. We on air? We good? You hear me all right? You can hear me. That's great. We've had a great time this weekend with uh, a mob of your people, not everybody, but maybe the cream of the crop or maybe the dregs that need a bit of help, not sure. But uh, we've had a great time we really appreciated the hospitality for Karina and Paul, so thank you very much. Um, we do the pro- this marriage program, we run it a number of times a year, we're invited into communities, often country communities like this and we really love coming into town because sometimes we just find that there's enough folk attend that it actually ends up changing the nature of the community and we know that that's part of your passion and your mission here. And so, what we thought is the best thing that we can do here on Sunday morning is we know that you're big on story, and what we wanted to do is share some of the, our story and how that's connected. We've been married. This is the 30, I think 30, 34th um, anniversary coming up. Yeah, there you go. I'll be right tonight, and, uh, and that's another story. What date exactly? Yeah, that was that happened during that year. That's right. Really. <laughs> Sometime in September. There you go. That was close enough. Um, so how's our story connected with God's story? Um, and through the, the, the idea of the Christ-centred marriage. And we're going to tell you some stats around that. Because the, the stats around that uh, marriage are not good, are they? Um, marriage gets a bad press. Um, the marriage, married couples in TV and the soaps and all that sort of stuff, they're the, they're the ones who've got a boring marriage and a boring life. Um, the stats in Australia are that if, if it continues the way it's going, 47% of the marriages that occur this year are going to fail. That's not good, is it? That's why we love being invited in, into churches, into communities and doing this sort of stuff. I yeah, don't know how you feel about this theologically, but I'll tell you a story of one of our early mentors. His name was John Mallison. You may have heard that name. Uh, he's gone to be with God now, but he was big on cell groups if you've had much to do with small group leadership in the church, uh, you probably used or read some of John's stuff. And then towards the end of his life, he was he, he um, morphed into a, a great mentor for Christian leaders. And we were so uh, thrilled that he invited us to be part of that process with him. John was flying; he's got an international had an international presence, um, worked a lot overseas. He was flying from Adelaide to Melbourne one day, and. Uh, uh, when the, when, these are the days when you always got free tucker on the plane. You know. And so the flight attendant comes round and uh, John, uh, yeah, do you want, a, you, want a, you want a meal? John, yep, he'll sign up for that. The person next to him said, no, thank you. So, uh, so the meals came out. The meal came out. John's sitting. He's very feeling really self-conscious about this. Uh, because he's sitting there feeding his face and this fellow next to him is not eating. And he said, um, are you not feeling well, John says to this guy. Uh, And he said, no, I'm fasting. Oh, John got all excited. He's a brother in Christ. And then, oh, what are you fasting about? And he says, I'm a Satanist. I am fasting for the destruction of Christian leaders' marriages in Adelaide. Now, John wasn't one of these guys that sees a devil under every bush. So for him to tell that story, and he's actually written that story in one of his, one of his books. Um, that, that's, see, we, marriage is under threat in all sorts of ways, isn't it? We have to work really hard at our marriages. And it was John that said, said to us, there's no such um, thing as failure, only feedback. And so in these 33 years plus of marriage, God has given us truckloads of feedback. So we want to share most of our stories are about things that we we learnt uh, in the difficult times of our relationship. So we just want to share a bit of that this morning around this idea of the Christ-centered marriage.
2: But we're aware that we could be alienating people by talking about this topic. There are people for whom just the topic of marriage brings up pain because of marriages that have failed or because of a marriage that has been longed for that hasn't occurred. So we don't want to alienate anyone and we're hoping that what everyone will find in what we share in our stories would be some principles for the Christ-centred life. And the first situation we'd like to talk about is Christ at the time of crisis. So we're from Queensland. We live uh, in a place called the Redcliffe Peninsula. But we used to live in a town called Toowoomba. You might have heard of that. And our, our two sons were born in Toowoomba. One Saturday morning, I walked into the kitchen and Greg was standing there with the local Toowoomba newspaper open at Situations Vacant. And I asked him just very casually, any interesting jobs there? And he, Thank you. he was um, quiet. He didn't answer me. And I looked at him and he actually looked very pale. And I said, are you okay? And he said... I've just seen my own job advertised." And that's how Greg found out that he was being made redundant. They advertised his job in the paper. You're popping. I'm popping. Is it of a hold up here? Okay. And uh, someone was supposed to have told him the day before, but nobody uh, got around to doing that. So Greg found out that he was being made redundant and that was incredibly painful because of how hard he'd been working uh, for the organisation. What made it even harder was that the very day before... So this is Saturday morning. The very day before on the Friday, we'd signed a lease on some professional rooms because I'd only just started going into private practice as a psychologist. So we'd virtually committed ourselves to a second mortgage uh, the day before. And Greg's wage, the only guaranteed wage, was drying up. Uh, The rooms we had leased were empty, so we had to... Uh, furnish them tastefully.
1: With better stuff than we had at home, which was yes, all secondhand. Second
2: and we had no idea how, how quickly my practice would build up. Uh, so we had no idea where the money was going to come from. So how did we react? Not well. Our first reactions were, you know, in the face of, of um, stress, we tend to go into freeze mode. We went to freeze. And then you go into... A flight mode where you want to just go back to bed and pull the doona over your head and pretend this isn't happening. Uh, fight mode. I can remember thinking, I would love to storm up to that workplace and and tell them off, how dare you treat someone this way? So we had all those reactions and it wasn't good. But one day we looked at each other and we thought, and we said, if we can't find God and the peace of God in the middle of this situation, then we're playing games. We're pretending that we are followers. If God doesn't make a difference at a time of crisis, then what's the use of, of um, following God? So we bundled up our boys and we went to a local park and we decided we would pretty much just let the kids run wild until we had somehow found God in the midst of this crisis. So we sat down at a park bench, let the kids do their thing up trees. And we, we thought, well, what do we know? Let's start with what we know. And we thought, all right, we know God's character. We know God is good even when bad things are happening. We know God is faithful to his people. And we know God is in control even when it feels like our lives are spinning chaotically. So we wrote those things down we, we didn't write down anything else because we didn't know anything else. We had no idea what was around the corner and what was going to get us through. But in writing down the character of Christ, we found that that changed everything. It changed nothing out there. It's not as if the organisation rang up and said, oh, mate, we've been so convicted about how badly we've treated you, we want to invite you back. You know, we never heard from them again. And it's not as if the... the the people that we had leased the rooms from rang us up and said, we've heard about your plight and we want to halve your rent. No. And it's not as if anyone donated furniture. Nothing changed out there, but everything was different because something had changed in here. And we realised that what we had come to experience was, you know, in John's Gospel where Jesus said, in this world you will have many troubles, but he also says in John's Gospel let not your hearts be troubled and somehow we found that, that how can you be in the midst of many troubles but not have a troubled heart and just after that we found a a poster that said, do not be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God and we realised we didn't know anything about the future but we knew our God and we knew our God knew us and our plight so we had to make a decision whether or not God was real for us as a couple, could God be trusted or not, and we decided God could be.
1: Uh, One issue that um, has been really big in our marriage because of the sort of couple that we are is the issue of power. We're both very determined, headstrong, (laughs) there might be other words you want, stubborn might be a word, and we know that that's an issue for many couples, this issue of power. This verse in Ephesians, which I love, Wives are to submit to their husbands. Mate, that's a good verse. I grew up in the Brethren Assemblies, the Brethren Movement. If you know anything about the Brethren Movement, you will know that this, is, this verse is a central tenet of faith. This is music to my ears, this, this, this verse. She suppo- and it goes on to say, Wives submit to your husbands as unto the Lord mate, how good is this? It gets better and better. Gift that keeps on giving. She's supposed to treat me like God. Supposed to bow to all my wishes. I've got the ultimate authority. Isn't this terrific? My say is the final say. And suddenly, in the early in our marriage, I started to realise that some of her ideas were better than mine. Some of the options that she was proposing made more sense. And this doesn't, this doesn't work. It doesn't sit well with me. They had greater merit, these things. She was wiser than me a lot of the time, most of the time, pretty well all the time. So I says to God, what are you up to? I thought I was supposed to be the founder of all knowledge in this relationship. I'm sure I heard a voice. It doesn't happen very often. And I think the words were, you're a mug. <laughs> and God said, read the previous verse, which says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Mate. That's how good it is, isn't it? A great revelation to me. One I needed, one I need to grapple with and and um, engage and live out in our married relationship. There's no room for power struggles in a Christ centred marriage. Submission's a two way street. Every time we acknowledge each other's preferences, what are we doing? We're reverencing Christ. How good is that? Can't get any better than that. Every time we accept each other's viewpoint, every time we practice mutual submission, we're reverencing Christ. And so power is still there. We're still pretty stubborn, but we want to make this marriage a Christ-centered marriage. And one of the ways we do that is to mutually submit to each other.
2: Another issue is how do we handle differences? So, on personality inventories, Greg and I are just about opposites.
1: She's extremely opposite.
2: And <laughs> here are some of those differences you're a male,
1: you're a female, and man, God is good.
2: <laughs> Your heritage is Scottish and Irish,
1: and yours is Turkish, Cypriot, Maltese, and Spanish. <laughs> you can tell, can't you? <laughs>
2: Your parents worshipped in the Brethren Assemblies,
1: and your mum's a strong Catholic, and your dad was a Muslim.
2: You are a raging extrovert.
1: You are a committed introvert. <laughs>
2: <laughs> you have good administrative skills.
1: Ah, you haven't. Done that.
2: <laughs> you love cooking, and you love shopping,
1: and you love my cooking, yes. and you avoid shopping like the plague. Yes. I have to go by myself. Yes. Not fair, I'm an extrovert. You should come with me.
2: (laughs) You have a great sense of direction.
1: And you can get lost in a one-room apartment.
2: Mm -hmm. (laughs) You like being with lots of people.
1: And you think that three's a crowd, sometimes two's a crowd.
2: You don't need much sleep.
1: And you don't cope well if you don't get enough sleep. Mm
2: -hmm. Your idea of a good holiday would be to be parachute dropped into the middle of lots of crowds, lots of noise, lots of people and not sleep at all during a holiday.
1: That's what extroverts like, by the way. Mm. And your idea of a good holiday is to be dropped on a deserted island probably without me and the kids. Yes. <laughs> uh,
2: for the first week. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. You are drawn to the Christian faith because to you it is logical, it is rational and it is grounded in historical reality.
1: And you are drawn to Jesus.
2: So that's just some of the differences between us, which have not eased over the last 33 years. Some of them have been magnified. So what do we do with those differences between us? Well, one choice is to say, I think I'm pretty normal. You're acting differently from me, so you must be abnormal. So get over here and be more like me. That's one option. But that is not how we learn Christ. What we are told instead is to... Uh, to, uh, show our love by being tolerant of one another. Show our love by being tolerant of one another. That's in Ephesians. And by definition, there is no need for tolerance unless there are differences. So we have had to work really hard on not just understanding, but accepting and then trying to go one step further and celebrating our differences. Because every time we resent our differences, what we're really saying is that God made a mistake.
1: Another uh, issue that's become uh, more of an issue since we started working together, which is about 20 years ago now, working in the same office, we're not just marriage partners, we're business partners. So our work has been a really big issue. When we're setting up our our company in 1988, people were actually praying about this. We didn't ask anybody to, to, but they did. And so we seem to be drawn to this notion, the name of our company is synergia, which is the idea that the the total is more than the sum of the parts. So one plus one is equal more than two. Um, And just when we were thinking about that, we looked up all the Latin, and it comes from Latin, and and we found in the Macquarie Dictionary the word synergism, which is partly the, the name of our company. And this is the definition of this. This is amazing. Synergism is the work of the human will in cooperation with the Holy Spirit in the process of sanctification. How about that? How about that? So we went with that name. We thought that was pretty good. And what it is about really is just two very ordinary people. We're not, there's nothing special about us, but two ordinary people really committed to bringing about God's wholeness in people's lives, wanting them to understand how, where is the Spirit at work and join the Spirit there and join God, where God is at work. And so we've seen that happening. We've seen people's lives turn around. We've seen organisational lives turn around. We've seen people who have been dysfunctional become whole. We've seen God at work in powerful ways and very gentle ways in churches, in Christian organisations, in, in uh, people's lives, people that we work with. So, what does that mean for us in our work? Just a couple of things. We've tried to be really positive in Philippians hundred and nine it talks about paul talks about writes about all concentrating thinking about all those things that are good there 's so much rubbish in the world isn 't there I was going to use a word that i shouldn 't use in a church but i won 't so much <laughs> negative stuff and it 's often dark and brown. you know what I mean um, but when we, 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 when we 're sharing with people when we 're working with people when we 're working with groups when we 're working with organizations, we want to be positive we want to bring stuff that 's beneficial that 's going to help them grow as individuals but also Grow in their relationship with God. Draw them closer towards God. We want to be agents of hope. We were hearing last night some sad stories of people in your, your town who've not had hope and have taken their own lives. There's so much despair in the world, isn't there? Christians, people of God, we need to be people of hope. We worship and love and follow a God of hope. Let's cling to that. And let's be agents of hope with those that we rub shoulders with every day. There is no situation that is hopeless when God is involved. I'll tell you a little story about that really quickly. I know I'm off script. Okay? I'll be in strife later. We're working with this group, this church, ch- um, church leadership team and there was a massive conflict going on between the lay leadership and the pastor. And we were called in by the head of the denomination in Queensland. These people are in a mess. They need you to help them work through this stuff. So we got to the room on a Saturday afternoon, a stinking hot Saturday afternoon, we're sitting in their tiny claustrophobic office that was stinking hot in the, in the room, no air conditioning, and they're going hammer and tongs at each other, the pastor and the lay leadership team across one side of the table, and we were thinking to ourselves, however, however are we going to do anything here? We tried to intervene, we tried to get them to talk more reasonably to each other. And we, all the time we're praying desperately, God, you've got to do something here quick, otherwise somebody's going to t- pull out a knife and do something that da- creates some down. All of a sudden, just like that, something happened. And the whole situation changed. And the pastor said, OK, I will dot, dot, dot. And that was opened the floodgates of resolving the situation. And then we worked with them for another hour or so. And then Miriam, we walked out, walked out to our car. What, what happened there? We said to each other, what happened? And we both knew the answer. God had showed up. God had showed up. We worship a God of hope. We need to have hope. And really quickly, we want to do our stuff well. We want to do. It. We want to have integrity. We've been working with doing this stuff now for 20, or actually longer than that, since just after we got married, we started working in ministry stuff together. Um, we work with at least 27 denominations. I didn't know there were that many before we started up. And when I grew up in the Brethren Church, I was told that was the only one. I shouldn't take any notice of any others. If any of you know Brethren... I think it's changed now, so I shouldn't be so critical. We have seen a lot of sloppy stuff in the Christian world, and that's really, that saddens us, because God calls us to do our stuff well. Do Christians in First Corinthians 14. Christians should be, Everything we do as Christians should be done decently and in order, and we try to be the very best that we can and um, you can test that by talking to the people, see whether we've been able to do that over this weekend, talking to the people who hang around with us on Friday night and yesterday.
2: But there's a subtle um, challenge in that because we could get to a point where our ministry becomes so important to us that we end up spending more time focusing on our ministry rather than the giver of the ministry, the, the, the reason for the ministry, our God. And uh, we have to constantly remind ourselves that our service needs to flow out of our love for God. And because um, the majority of of our clients in our practice are pastors, chaplains and missionaries, we see again and again how for a lot of them they get so weary in what they're doing that they find that intimacy with God starts to shrivel up. And they get to a point where they think, I don't know anymore how to be close to God, but I do know how to work hard for God, so I'll just work harder. And that keeps them locked in this spiral that burns them out. So we try to work really hard on God being our focus rather than the ministry.
1: Just the other thing, before we go off our work stuff, the other thing is that um, all of the work that we do for pastoral couples, for missionary groups, um, uh, Youth workers, chaplains—we we only ask for a donation for all that stuff. So we we live by faith, as we're called to do, aren't we? Live by faith, but it does put pressure on the cash flow. And some years ago now, this goes back to when our kids were young, younger. Um, I because I handle all the finances. We've all had a conversation, and you know she's not real good at administration. So pray for her, okay? Um, <coughs> Some years ago I looked at the beginning of the quarter before we, the, the BAS due, the GST return and all that stuff was due, and I could tell, just by previously what had been happening in the business, that we were going to be tight at the end of the quarter. Those of you who do BAS you know exactly what I'm talking about, quarterly return. And sure enough we got to the end of the quarter and I'm sitting down uh, in my office, I'm working out all the figures. This is the, the, the night before it was due to be paid. Miriam um, walks into the office at quarter to five and says, ''How are you going with the, with the GST?'' And I said, ''We're a thousand bucks short.'' She said, ''What are you going to do? We've got to pay it tomorrow.'' I said, ''I don't know. The day's not over yet.'' Um, at 20 past five, the, the bell on the fax machine rings. Um, I think we've got a different fax machine. Anyway, that's what happened. And it was, um, we were being advised by the health department. Miriam had done some work for the health department and we were being advised that they were going to deposit some money into our bank account the next day. So here's the facts. Now can we just go a bit smaller? Can you see how much that was? We owed $1,000. God gave us enough for a cup of coffee.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> now there have been other times when it's been tight as well but at that time that was very significant that God intervened. We believe God intervened that particular time. A thousand bucks is a lot of money to any of us, isn't it? So God is in control of our finances.
2: So what does it mean to have a Christ-centred marriage? And this is what we spoke about over the weekend. We talked about how a Christ-centred marriage is a marriage with where, of total commitment. And we talked about the difference between the contract mentality, if then, if I keep paying my monthly instalments for my car, then the company will let me keep the car. That's how the world functions. And if we bring a contract mentality into our marriage, then we'll say, if you if you, still make me happy, if I still like being with you, then I will stay. But what God is calling us to and what a Christ-centred marriage is about is not contract mentality, but covenant mentality, which is even if, even if things get really hard, even if sometimes I feel bored, even if it's difficult, I will stay. A Christ centered marriage means bringing all of me to this relationship. So, Timothy Keller in his mar- marriage book talks about that marriage is not about finding the right person, and if you find the right one, then you'll live happily ever after. There's no such person as the right person who will be the perfect fit. Marriage is about becoming the right person, becoming the sort of person who is a covenant person and bringing all of myself to this relationship, forsaking all others and bringing all of me to this relationship. And it's about me doing that for the total life. We talked over the weekend about how the statistics for divorce for two Christians getting married is the same as the statistics for divorce for two non-Christians getting married. But we said how the rate of divorce for a Christian marriage is less than 1%. So just because two Christians get married does not mean they have a Christian marriage. A Christian marriage is characterised by Christ, by, by kingdom principles, and the divorce rate is less than 1% for a Christian marriage. That's what a Christ-centered marriage is about.
1: So we read from those few verses from Colossians together. And verse 17 says that Christ is before all things. Before all things. Number 1, first. One of our previous ministers in our own church, once told us a really important thing. He said we don't read scripture, scripture reads us. And here's the scripture reading us. What is number 1? That's what it's about. What is number one in our lives? What's primary? What's before everything else? Is it really Jesus? And it goes on to say that Christ holds all things together. So again, the scripture asks us, what do you hang on to? What do you you believe is holding your life together, your career together, your work together, your study together, your marriage? What's holding these together? When you tell your stories around the community, are you able to... Have a story. Yes, Christ is holding my life together. I know that. Here's how it's happened in my life. Have we got a story to tell around that? It is Christ who has held us together. Just to finish, this is Ali. Sure. Here's Ali. Ali was Miriam's dad. He's dead now. And he died a Muslim. We went to his funeral in a mosque. Now, Ali never understood our faith or our ministry. Ali would argue with us because for a Muslim to worship a human being is blasphemy. There is no God but Allah. He could not understand us, couldn't understand what we were doing. But we would talk to Ali. We would share our story and I would share as a person who's highly rational, I need stuff, I need it to be logical and be, to be provable and I would say to Ali, Here is a person who comes along and demonstrates beyond, in a unique way, more than anybody else that's ever lived, a unique way demonstrates the life and love of God. And then this person says, follow me. How can I not? Where's the logic in not following him? So, for us, it is Christ. It is all about Christ. God's desire for each of us to have... Christ-centred marriages for those who are married, but beyond that, to each of us, to have a Christ-centred life. Our prayer is that that's your story that you can share in your gospel community. Thank you.